a Zoom screen showing two speakers. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Desktop Studio Visits. My name is John Enkia Bloomfield and I work at Wising as a curator and acting head of programme. So for this episode, I'm joined by the artist Christelle Mess, who is calling in over Zoom from Marseille. Before I introduce uh, Christelle Mess, I'll just quickly go over some housekeeping. The event is being subtitled. You should be able to access a stream text link that gives options to change sizing and formatting. A link can be found in the chat and on the host Wising broadcast page. So the format of today's event and all, of, all events in the series is that Christelle has chosen some artifacts from a recent residency. We're going to play, share or read them and we're going to talk about them. It's as simple as that. And then after about 40 minutes or so, there should be some time for questions from the audience. If you have a question, just pop it in the chat. And if you don't, that's fine. We'll, uh, we'll have plenty to talk about, I'm sure. Then if you'd like to revisit the event later on, we're planning to archive it as a video, a podcast and a transcript. And that should be out in the next week or so. And we'll also add audio descriptions of videos to the podcast. So I'm just gonna introduce Christelle. So Christelle Mess, AKA Christelle Oyeri, is a multidisciplinary artist based in Paris. She is a sound artist and DJ, as well as a performer. Her work highlights forgotten mythologies, the subtle interstices between memory and alienation, DIY culture and technology. Her work has been exhibited at La Fayette Anticipation, uh, Frac Lorraine, La Gaieté Lyrique, Espace Arlo, uh, HEK Basel, Auto Italia, and Auto Italia Southeast in London. So Christelle first came to Wising in August last year a few months after a research trip to Guadeloupe, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, so yeah, welcome Christelle. Hey, hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, just um, enjoying the sun, but also yeah. working at the same time, so not easy to keep the balance. Great, I think that's all of us. Yeah. So just, um, just for access reasons, we're just going to describe ourselves. Uh, so. I'm a mixed race cis man in his early 30s. I've got black glasses and black hair. Mm -hmm. I am a black woman in her late 20s. And I have like a long kinky hair ponytail and <laughs> an African necklace. <laughs> and the glow, don't forget the glow. And the glow. <laughs> and the glow. Okay, so... Um, we are, we'll just play the first clip then, which is from, um, it's an extract from a talk that the academic uh, Malcolm Ferdinand gave on mm. decolonial ecology. So we'll play that and then we'll chat about it. A man stands on a platform in front of a podium. Behind him is a screen showing an image of Noah's Ark with the text to Noah's Ark, Ecology or the Double Fracture. <laughs> and, uh... It was inspired, it was inspired by some whiteies on the moon. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, that's it. A rat done bit my sister Nell with whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. 
You know, the man just off my rent last night, cause Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. I wonder why he's up in me, cause Whitey's on the moon. Well, I was already giving him 50 a week, and now Whitey's on the moon. Taxes taking my whole damn check. The junkies make me a nervous wreck. The price of food is going up. And as if all that crap wasn't enough, a rat done bit my sister now with Whitey on the moon. Okay, so a lot of you knew that song, I guess. Um, but the key of this imaginary figure of the Noah's Ark is that we imagine the world as being a ship. There is a climate storm coming, the world has a ship, and what type of ship are we going to build? And the question that is raised in Noah's Ark story is who or what would be allowed to board on the ship? Now, the song by Gil Scott Aaron here is making that... Um, comparison between those that have been left on the ground while some have, have been allowed to go all the way up to the moon and board that spaceship. Um, and if you want to understand why, where does it come from, the, way, the, the fact that today we have created these white spaces where we can speak about ecological issues and not even question the absence of minorities and people of color uh, in, in part of the discourses, we need to look at um, what I call the double fracture of modernity. Now, I won't go into the details, in, uh, in, it's in French, <laughs> but let's just say like, that you can divide, um, that there are two movements that are critical of modernity, but have really taken stage since the 1960s. One can be said the ecological movement, broadly and loosely defined, but that are tackling what I call the uh, environmental fracture. So they are activists, scholars, and NGOs are trying to reverse that hierarchy that put a man above nature, a loosely defined man above a loosely defined nature. That's the horizontal environmental fracture here. And again, um, beside this uh, basic form of environmentalism, other form of uh, other trends of environmentalism have tried to tackle both. Um, the hierarchy between man and nature, and also issues of social justice, issues of gender inequality. Uh, so you have ecofeminism, you have eco-socialism, um, um, political ecology, and so on and so forth. But what I did find in my studies is that even the more leftist or radical uh, political ecologist uh, thinkers had one shadow. Most of the time, they uh, forget about or overlook racism and the, and the colonial uh, history of modernity. So it seems that if you want to tackle uh, the, the environmental fracture, and even if you want to tackle it from a radical way, you still can left out this, uh, colonial, the, the colonial history of the world. Now, on the other hand, um, another movement that is very critical of modernity, that also gains things after the the uh, anti-colonial protest for independence in the mid-20th centuries uh, tackled the colonial fracture. They wanted to reverse that hierarchy that put one colonist man above one colonist, uh, one colonized uh, man. And again, this anti-colonial movement also have uh, the more radical trends, trying to uh, at the same time reverse that hierarchy, but also um, enforce issues of uh, gender equality with uh, 
movement like Afrofeminism or issues of social justice or religious uh, tolerance and so on and so forth. However, all of these movements, a lot of them, have left, of, left aside issues of um, ecology, the ecological challenges of the world. Thank you. So that was Malcolm Ferdinand, a political scientist and writer whose work argues that environmental destruction is inseparable from relationships of racial and colonial domination. Uh, Christelle? <laughs> okay, you're back, great. So yeah, how could you tell us how you came to um, uh, Ferdinand's work and why it was important for your, your residency? Um, I came across his work when, um, before I actually went to Guadeloupe, I was increasingly um, interested into environmental issues and also um, like the, the, the intersection between environmental issues and race issues, because I, I always felt like um, Black people felt so removed from ecology just because they already have like um, a lot on their plate. <laughs> dealing with like racial issues and gender issues as well they often think that it's like it doesn't really concern them because also this is a very like ecology has been so gentrified and so like whitened in a way that like people feel disinterested in it because it's it has been trivialized if we're being honest like they don't see the bigger picture and they don't feel included so i was I was looking for um, people and thinkers that were actually working towards making the intersection between the two clearer and, and making, um, shedding lights on different um, aspects of ecology that, that I knew of, but that I couldn't really make sense of. Like, um, for instance, like what happened in, in Flint, Michigan, mm -hmm. I knew that it was in, in, in an intersection between the two, but I, because I'm, I haven't studied ecology, like this is not my background, I couldn't really make sense off of it. I really need, needed thinkers and books to really like understand, because when we think about um, intersectionality, most of the time we think about the intersection between class, race, and gender, like the, the actual... Um, uh, the actual ecosystem is often like put aside. Like it's yeah. often something that is not really thought of um, in this aspect of things. So um, for me, when I was researching about this topic, I came across this book, which is called Decolonial Ecology. I was uh, looking for an article on Claudicon, which is the, the pesticide that I'm going to mm -hmm. talk extensively about today and when researching about this pesticide that would um that was spread out in the french caribbean the french west indies island like guadeloupe and martinique which is where my my maternal side comes from um by searching i came across one of his um interviews that was really really amazing because he talked about um it talked about the chemistry of the master, how the master is a chemist, mm -hmm. how, they, how uh, we shouldn't separate 
slavery and ecology because slavery had a tremendous effect on the nature. And I thought it was very brilliant. I was absolutely blown away. And then I was like, I mean, I knew that, but like, it's one thing to know something and it's another thing for someone to explain to you exactly what yeah. happened. I mean, it seems like, mm. I guess, a real, uh, yeah, I think thinking about ecology through the lens of race feels like really, really useful for the, for the current moment. Um, exactly. I feel like it's, I feel like it was, um, I'm okay with talking about like micro microaggression, etc. But it's also about like a bigger scale, and it's also yeah. about like for me as someone that is uh, partially Caribbean, um, I couldn't really understand how such a small island like Guadeloupe and Martinique, which is for people that don't know because it's so small, like some people might not even know where it is. Like it's 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 below Haiti. And it's below like the, the what we call the big West Indies, which is Haiti, Jamaica, because these are big islands. And yeah. so <laughs> below the big islands, you have the small West Indies, which is where I come from, which is more like it's next to Barbados, basically. It's not super far from Barbados, and it's uh, and it's um, above uh, South America, like it's above Trinidad. So. Um, for me, I think that what really struck me as well with um, his work is that how we use the um, concept of Anthropocene, yeah. Anthropocene, to, to, to actually, like, how it challenged this, this concept. Because this is a concept that a lot of, like, um art centers residency like this past five years like everybody was like even in like open calls and stuff like this it's yeah, yeah, a yeah. term that has been used and overused and he was basically like um saying that this is a term that also like exclude like the what it means to be an anthropocene because an anthropocene is someone that like um it's acts upon nature like affect nature and it's basically transforming nature into something that it's not and by by doing that you use like the in, you use industry you use exploitation capitalism so on and so forth and for me it didn't like i didn't feel like my parents for instance were anthropocene because for me it's like how did they benefit from that like if yeah. someone has if if they if someone has a history of their family working for free for 400 years how could it be called anthropocene because they didn't benefit directly from it so yeah it's not it's not all humans it's uh you know some exactly some i felt like it was i felt like i couldn't i couldn't um carry the guilt of being an anthropocene for like the, the last like 40 years like it I, it felt i felt like it was a guilt that i couldn't really carry I mean, but I was sorry. I, I guess like theorists of the Anthropocene, they sort of usually talk about the Industrial Revolution as the beginning exactly. of that. Exactly. But that's, that's like a weird blip because it, the Industrial Revolution is this moment when developed countries sort of were polluting their own doorsteps before realizing that actually what they could do is extract, exploit, and pollute 
of a land exactly. so far away, which is colonialism. And that kind of begins earlier. So that's exactly sort of where... It's also yeah. where like, I felt like blind, like I felt a little confused because I was like, wait, I don't really relate to this. Like maybe now, maybe, maybe my generation, maybe me, I can relate to this, but I don't feel like my parents and the people that came before me can relate to this definition because they haven't colonized or even slightly benefited from colonialism at all. So yeah. this concept is not a concept where I can fit my history in. Yeah, the benefits are unequal and the, um, yeah. the effects are exactly. unequal. Exactly, exactly. So okay. it basically um, reclaimed this concept by creating the concept of negrosen, for instance, mm -hmm. for instance, which is um, like the same concept, but the, con the concept applied to black folks. Um, for instance, like the maroon runaway slave that goes up into the hills because most of the slaves that are runaways go up in the hills, um, especially in Haiti, and that um, carry on deforestation has no choice but to do that. But that's a Negro sin because it's still like an exploitation of nature, but it's for its survival in a framework of like slavery. So it's like really, really like, now we're getting into something specific. Now I can actually relate because mm -hmm. it's, not, um, it's not like mistreating nature because you wanna, you wanna extract uh, profit and, and, and power from it. It's, bec it's because of survival. What's happening mm -hmm. in Haiti right now with all the, the flooding and, and all the, the catastrophe that has been going on for decades over there is largely due by the fact that like the Maroons um, slaves like deforest a, a, like a, a huge part of the, of the island because when slavery was over, they had to find jobs and they had to also like support themselves. And has a lot of people might not know that um, Haiti was the most, I think, it was the island that was providing the most, like, um, it was the most financial, financially, like, beneficial island in the Caribbean. And even in the realm of, like, slavery, it was very, very lucrative for France. So they would bring slave and instead of like having them like living with their masters or living on the plantation like in the US because yeah. the, the US is more like cotton. In Haiti, it was more like relating to sugar. So it's like a harsher agriculture. The uh, life expectancy of a slave in these times in the 19th century was two years. So it was the biggest turnover. That's also why like Haitian people have like, they look more like African, like me, like they, they're less mixed because it's, it was largely like a turnover. It's like this, the slave died, they bring all the slaves from Africa, then they died because they had no, it wasn't like in the US where they had like sort of like a life on the plantation. It's like they had no human condition whatsoever. Like nothing was, made for them to actually like have babies for instance or keep them or it was not made for that at all 
um, there were no social aspect of the plantation society when where in some places it's the case like in Latin America or even the US like you had sort of like a social life around the plantation that wasn't the case in Haiti so yeah. it's the reason the reason why it's an island that is very important is because it's at the center of everything um and it's just, used as an example also by Malcolm Ferdinand because this is an island where a, a revolution happened to overthrow um, capitalism, slavery, institutionalized racism. And then the, 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 also the, the thing with the Caribbean is that also there, it's faced by an, an environmental anguish because you're at the center of basically like, um, like tornadoes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's like you're at the center of everything basically. So for me, before, I think that I had an idea of like institutionalized racism and everything in the Caribbean, but I, I neglected the aspect of environment. Like yeah. it was for me, it's like doing this project was also like conciliating all the things together and like just reviewing my way of thinking as well. Like okay. making it more like a 360 thing less and less like compartmentalized, I guess. That's what like this book has taught me as well. Okay, thank you. All right, so the next, the next thing we're going to show, it's a, um, a film by Florence, or an extract from a film by Florence Lazar called So You Think the Earth is a Dead Thing, and from what I understand, it's mainly shot in, in Martinique, so another island just, uh, yeah, like 180 kilometers from, from Guadeloupe, where your research is mainly focused in an island that comes up quite a lot. So, yeah. I think, Chloe, when you're ready, we could play that an extract from that film. A woman stands in a field cutting plants. Depuis 83, malgré toute la lutte que nous avons menée, mais on a perdu énormément de terres agricoles. Énormément de terres agricoles. Sur 52 000 hectares, il nous reste 23 000 hectares et ça continue à partir. Donc, euh, on est obligé d'avoir une réflexion en profondeur sur la gestion à venir de, de cet espace qui est la Martinique. Et lorsqu'on sait que pour, pour les, surfaces, euh, les surfaces agricoles, eh ben, 80% sont occupés par la banane. Hein. Ça ne fait pas beaucoup pour l'agriculture. 
pour la diversification. Il nous reste 80% de, de, des surfaces occupées par les grandes cultures. Il nous reste que très peu pour mettre en place cette petite agriculture. Je ne me fais pas d'illusion. L'orientation, lorsqu'on me parle d'orientation agricole, je ne sais pas si, je, si on parle de nous, hein, nous les petits producteurs. On pèse quoi On pèse quoi Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, you can, can yeah, see the... Yeah, I'm coming back. Yeah. <laughs> One second. Oh, my God. Um, okay, um, so we yeah. can see that the film uh, pairs really well with um, the, yeah, Marcon Ferdinand's work. Um, kind of shows the ecological damage of colonialism, amongst other things. But could you talk a little bit about your interest in the film? Um, I think my interest in the film comes from the fact that um, Florence Lazare comes from um, Yugoslavia. I don't know if we can still say, um, I don't know how, because they, they changed the name of the country and I'm really bad at, at geography, but <laughs> um, she comes from the Balkan, basically. And she has made this movie called like 125 Acres. And basically also like, she also made this movie called The Peasants, like the, about like, like her, her, her work is greatly focused on um, like um, agriculture, survival, and also like critical thinking. And basically like, It, I felt like she was very, even though she doesn't come from like the Caribbean as well, I felt like the way that she um, linked the two together, because also like her, move, her other movie is really interesting for that, um, was really clever, really smart and really clear. And for me, it's like the interest that I also had is that the movie is not solely about um, how we're suffering and how like uh how sad it is it's also about healing because in other parts like the first scene of the movie opens on like a black woman um in martinique um in her garden basically talking about like every single plants every single healing plants that she had in her garden mm -hmm. and it's, it's like a huge garden It's not, it looks nothing that, like what we have uh, in our cities, but it's like, and she's with a friend. And I think it's a really, really, really beautiful scene. And the reason why it's so beautiful, it's because um, the, the title of the movie, so you, is, so you think Earth is a dead thing, um, resonates with what's happening in Guadeloupe and Martinique, which is basically like, 80 to 90% of the soil from this island is, is um, poisoned with um, chlordecan, which is a pesticide that was used um, from the, the 50s up until the um, mid 90s. And this pesticide has had been uh, forbidden in the 70s, like in the early 70s in uh, the US. And we all know the US are not a great example of <laughs> 
like um i would say just and environmentalism and just like ecology like this is probably like yeah we're not so the fact that they um forbid the use of this pesticide uh before france for me when i researched was kind of odd i'm not saying that france is more advanced or anything but i'm just saying like um there is there is little to none um like food restriction in the u.s like they still put like corn syrup in everything that you eat so it's like i would expect france to be a little more like savvy when it comes to like the environment you know and it's, it's not metropolitan france that's the thing isn't it it's, exactly uh... so this is where it comes into place that for me um what i discovered it's not that it wasn't metropolitan france is that they were they were um they were aware of it like it wasn't something that they didn't know like they knew but the reason why they gave a pass to the big firm to continue the use of this prison, even though in 90, 80, in 83, this woman is actually talking about the revolts because in 83, the farmers from Guadeloupe and Martinique already knew that the pesticide was not good. Like mm -hmm. they already felt like my grandmother was um, a farmer um, on these plantations as well. So, um, she already knew it was bad like she already knew it was it was not something that came across as a surprise or a big reveal it's like the their um own health felt like already um under attack and already like in jail party so they um they demonstrated for several weeks several months in 83 that's what the women that's what the woman is referring to it's like she's saying she's she's trying to say that um it has been it has been a concern for almost like 40 years and basically yeah. like um one second and basically yeah it's it's been a concern and yeah and just to like underline that a bit you've got kind of like if anyone's heard of the um, the Rachel Carson book *Silent Spring*, which is like a big book in America, the it's like the beginning of the environmental movement, and a lot of that was all about the banning of DDT, which is a pesticide, which is really, really. I think, from what I understand, the, the same thing to quote exactly. Claridicon, and that was in 1972, and that's sort of like the moment where America starts finding its own conscious about ecological issues exactly well and then in, in it was a big wake up call this year in 72 73 74 was um big wake up call years um except not well i mean it, but also at the same time that's when they like really start from what i understand they really started using it in martinique and guadeloupe and so it just it's just outsourcing it like pushing you know the problem gets pushed it's also else. like the discrepancy between like um the west and the caribbean which is not exactly considered the south as well and this is what i want to talk about with my text the roots of evil that i'm going to read like in a mm -hmm. few it's um 
there's this space of in-betweenness um, because these islands look like beautiful, there's beautiful sceneries, the people are so nice, etc. etc. Like <laughs> there's a yeah. false misconception also that prevents like this postcard, um this postcard way of like seeing um the Caribbean has also affected them greatly because because you look a certain way, people don't assume you're going through this through the same um tribe like tribulations as the south which is africa or asia or whatever like people assume that you benefit from the same um from the same benefits and also in our community in the black community um even in france me being half african half caribbean i can sense that there's kind of like caribbean or like seen as they have like this proximity to whiteness and this proximity to like the north and what it means like wealth and like in the in the in the collective consciousness I think it's very ingrained and I think this is also like um how can I say that it's like a poisonous gift because it's like you have this image but because you have this image people don't dig in they know that slavery happened there but it's like because it didn't happen on the soil of france people people do have a distance from it like they don't even realize that really like slavery happened i think it's the same thing for the uk really it's like they don't because it didn't happen on the uk soil it happened in Jamaica, it happened in Barbados, it happened in Martinique also because the English people were there as well for several years. Um, I think that there's this misconception that it's okay, they don't have it as bad as Africans. <laughs> and this is the worst thing ever, like, because it's, it prevents us from having like critical conversation about these places which are the places where slavery happened. Slavery didn't happen in Africa, it happened there. So it happened in the South of of the US. It happened in South America and it happened largely in the Caribbean. So I think that there's really like, everything is made for us to not understand fully where are the, lands and the places where these problematics are actually or these topics are actually urgent like where is the emergency the emergency is not necessarily where the media is telling you it is like the emergency is not necessarily like in malawi because you see like kids like not having food etc like it's it's another thing. There's like colonialism and there's also like anti-blackness. It's a whole realm. And I think that people have a hard time understanding like the different, the urgent topic in different regions. They all, they, we have a tendency to just like, uh, I don't know, I think silence Caribbean voices as well, or just like exotize them. Like it's like, 
it's trivialized greatly. And this is why I think this work is important and this talk even is important because it's always, it's mainly trivialized. And I think that it's, it has been also the main topic of murder by proxy as well. It's like, how can we break from the postcard image and from the folklore? So on the subject of murder by proxy, do you want to, do you want to go into the roots of evil text or? Yeah, I want, I would like to, to read go, it. Should we go straight into that? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, do you have it ready? Um, yeah, in okay. 30 seconds. Okay. Even um, less than that actually. So yeah, we can talk, yeah. Can read the text and then and then, and yeah, then maybe yeah and then some. maybe talk about like the um, the project and maybe then listen to some music <laughs> exactly yeah i feel like we've been talking yeah we've given quite yeah. a lot of the context so i think i sent it oh okay sorry send resources okay i found it great the Roots of Evil. 2020 was a year of homecoming and awakening for many. Quite naturally, self-isolation offered the opportunity to dive back into what constitutes my musical DNA. Caribbean music and most importantly, Antillian music. After 15 years, I was going back to Guadeloupe, my island, in an attempt to trace my own sonic gene genealogy. All while re-exploring my maternal lineage, with a new and adult gaze. While I was there, I was studying the intricacy of traditional music called woka, as well as its drumming, its calling response structure, and of course, the relation between voicing in woka and the, the question of identity and memory. More than being the guardians of traditions and the chronicles of their time, I came to realize that woka was protest music and resisted friends politics of assimilation. Gwoka, a musical genre that emerged in the 17th century during the transatlantic slave trade. At that time, African slaves from Guad of Guadeloupe used to gather to play drums, sing and dance. The use of any kind of drum was at that time forbidden by the Code Noir. So I'm going out of the text a little bit, like when they were using drums and dancing, it was generally met with punishment. As a consequence, slaves used a vocal technique called bouladej, which imitate drums. Goka practice was directly linked to agricultural work, especially sugarcane, coffee, and banana cultivations. In a way, listening to Gwoka drummers and singers was a way for me to fully witness Antillian people reconnecting with their ancestry in real time. As someone who's the product of both African and Antillian parents, it felt like a soothing and deep sonic experience. Not only were they reconnecting with a long lost place, but protecting Gwoka remains also heavily attached to the soul, the earth and the roots. Um, Le Code Noir was a decree passed by France, King Louis XV in the 1685. This code defined the condition of slavery in French colonial empire. The gist of the code remained in place until, 80, until, um, 
1848, sorry. The Caribbean is an empty chamber of for in-betweenness at the center of a triple abyss experience wrought by colonialism. The abyss opened up by the violent enslavement, the illusion of abolition within the context of continued colonial oppression, the abyss of the middle passage where those captured lay in the dark holes of ships, the warmth of the Caribbean, and the abyss of environmental anguish. The Martinican novelist, essayist, poet, and playwright Edouard Lisson advocated for the multiplicity of cultural identities in an individual and borrows dollars and gatari expression of resolve, rhizomatic, to expose the intricacy of the Creole identity. The rhizome is a plant that grows underground and has roots that entangles around others. However, the actual roots are indeed rotten. Although these islands have pristine and dreamlike landscapes, heaven is only surface level. Level. Would you live in a land whose land is poisoned for the next seven centuries? Ask Celia Petion. To control banana weevil, chlordicon pesticides was widely used between 1972 and 1993 to protect banana plantation from insects in Martinique and neighboring Guadeloupe with the complicity of the French government. Over 90% of the adult population of Martinique and Guadeloupe suffer from chlordicon poisoning, according to Santé Publique France, the French public health agency. Chlordicon has been linked to prostate cancer, cancer, the rate of which in Martinique and Guadeloupe is amongst the highest in the world as well as stomach and pancreatic cancer. The poisoning has also penetrated the soil and the water in some important parts of these islands. The contamination would, could last to one from, from one to six centuries in the environment. Um, this information didn't come as a surprise, but I only realized the scale of it when I saw my family experience firsthand on site, especially among women. The chlorinated pesticide is widely recognized for its production of reproductive deficits on men, but its effects on women is rarely discussed. Excess of fibroids, post-ovulatory deformities, as well as high percentage of stillborn death. How does the Italian woman cultivate a healthy relationship with her womb, a womb that has already lived through the trauma of systemic rape during slavery and now the, the, the destructive violence of Claudicon in a fortiori modern capitalism? How to survive amongst the dying? Can one lead a good life in a bad life? Asked Judith Butler. I obviously have no definitive answer this trip that was originally a research trip became, became even more transformative than, than I expected. In the end, I was left with way more than the desire of creating a sonic body of work. Discovering the political nature of Gloka, of Gloka polyrhythm, its, story, its storytelling component was one, was one thing, but thinking about the resources we have to preserve and resist was the real highlight. The necessity of a decolonial ecology felt more urgent than ever. While the French plantation owners 
on the Caribbean island of Martinique had their gardens laid out in Versailles style, their enslaved workers continued their tradition of using medicinal wild herbs, which grew in the edge of the periphery of habitation. The plants were known as rimedrasier or edge remedies. Nowadays, these herbs represent one of the several resources through which the people of Martinique counter the health and ecological ravage caused by the use of pesticides on the banana plantations, which cover a quarter of the land. Another form of resistance is being led by farmers who are reclaiming uncultivated lands to grow indigenous veg vegetables guided by expert local knowledge and without any industrial pesticide. As a sound artist, the most important thing was learning how to cultivate my own garden. Part of it through revisiting my relationship to film recording, which took a new meaning for me after this trip. It is now about giving space to necessary healing. Thank you, Christelle. I love that image of needing to create your own, your own garden, your own sonic garden. Yeah, thank you. On, on that, I wonder if uh, we could, we could um, see some of the Murder by Proxy project and listen to yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Um, should I share a screen? Yeah, go for it. Let's do that. A screen share showing a web page with a video of running water. I, can you see? Yes. Cool. Um, so this is the first part of the website, which is a video that I took in a city called Bouillante, which in English actually means uh, boiling. Like it's, a, but it's called boiling because there's literally um, hot bath in the city. It's in Guadeloupe. The web page scrolls down to text, which is read out. Um, be, beyond the text, you can you have like a video of um, this band called Kassav, which is one of the most known band um, in, in Guadeloupe and Martinique because they invented a whole genre, which is called Zouk, which is very highly popular in like friends, but also throughout the world. I can also read the text that I wrote. Live a life, live a good life surrounded by nature, indulging in daydreams in heavenly settings. Ha, the dream, or shall I say the marriage of many. Many people imagine our enchanting islands with a kaleidoscope in their eyes. It is the envy of elsewhere, the sweet escape, in the form of spice market. I'm interrupting your program to come and say that Evan is in fact poison. There we find an elixir live, lav lavishing slow death. It infests, it penetrates, and it is here to stay. No good life possible, where life itself is compromised. How can one live a good life in a bad life? And I think that if I want to get into um, the project, it would be also good to maybe play the video before getting into the project as well. I think it's time to just play like one or two things. We have about just under mm -hmm. 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Oh my God. It, yeah, it's true. It's yeah, like, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I just feel like I've been speaking for 10 minutes, but okay. Uh, so basically, um 
I will go into my files, just interrupting. So I guess the form of this is, so it's a website, there's sound, yeah. there's video. Exactly, but I just wanna, perfect. Can you hear? So basically, about this project, the, the ambition was really to have like a, a whole text about, but more like a fictional story instead of like having like a documentary text that felt like really redundant and already done. I wanted to build like a fictional story like based on basically like my homecoming um tripped by the loop which is which was very like filled of joy but also very traumatic and i think it took me months to get over it and i think even during the residency i wasn't at my best but um when i went back to Guadeloupe, um and then it's like a very personal story but like my cousin that I was really close to when we were little, like kind of like underwent like a lot of like um, uh, um sorry. She underwent a lot of like um miscarriage as well as, as like um stillborn babies, like she had two of them, and I think that like my it was kind of like a secret among the family and my mom would didn't share it with me because she thought that it was highly personal and I understand it but it's like it felt really all of a sudden like this whole Claudicon thing felt like really real and I think that before that like unless because everyone has cancer now like the perspective of having cancer seemed quite like okay like every like you, you will get cancer anyway like it's, it felt like something really like uh not i wouldn't say normal but like expected you know expected to die from cancer nowadays in a way and it's like what is not expected and what is less discussed about this issue is the issue that women are encountering uh with their fertility and with uh, their warm actually. And um, I think the sorrow and also feeling completely defenseless in front of like such an issue that left me really like stranded and like sad. Like, um, it, I was sad and I didn't go through that. So I can't imagine how my cousin felt because she has been with her um, partner for more than 10 years. So Malcolm Ferdinand and I, we did a talk at Centre Pompidou as well that is also available online. And we talked greatly about like, um, I mainly talk about like 
feminism and the intersection the intersectionality between feminism and ecology which is like ecofeminism and how like like the black woman is at the center of that as well because um her warm and her way of conceiving has been subjected to so many trauma that it's really hard to um conceive actually like black women are like for instance like four times more likely to um die um while giving birth and this is something that i didn't know before going there like it's like all of this stuff that i'm talking about are really like stuff that i um got into when i went back home basically how long, how long were you there for i was there for three weeks like a month yeah a month. And basically, like, it's just um, really from my perspective that I continued, like, writing about it. Right now, like, most of the stuff that I wrote about Mardor um, by Proxy is wrote in French, except for, like, the two first pages. But like, the rest of the story is wrote in French because I couldn't even write it in English right away because it felt very natural. Um, but basically, the story is about a young woman that has that is an indie musician whoa how surprising <laughs> and she decided to go back to her roots because she hasn't been in 15 years and she feels kind of like out of place and you know you haven't been home in 15 years so it feels kind of, just feel kind of weird and she decides to indulge into the carnival like like getting to know how the carnival works and how the drummer works and stuff like this and she records stuff as well but she also ends up like having vision and she is basically like way more um aware of what's going on because she's there like she can escape the reality of what's going on because she's currently living it through her family because i used the basic the, the story of my cousin to also decline it in this story and she's basically going through these hardships and this realization and in the end like she managed to cultivate her own garden and like create sort of like a guild with other women to cultivate their gardens and like create like healing um, potions for women but before getting to this point she has a lot of hardships and setbacks <laughs> this is like a whole story but yeah about like um experiments like for me I also recorded stuff from there that I would love to I would love to just like make a reason to share it I recorded that there. 
um, same for the sub recording. I don't know if you can hear. Yeah, so when coming up to time, maybe we could just play out with a track. De rien. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I mean, I'll... I could go on for hours because well, there's so much to say. I feel like we're just getting started, but that's that's good. Exactly, <laughs> that's the thing. So, um, all right. Thanks everyone for for watching, listening, watching on the recap. Um, yeah, we'll have another event in a month or so, and yeah, we'll try to find. Um, a way to continue the conversation with uh, Christelle. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye, bye everyone. Bye bye. Bye everyone.